0: Amen, good to have everyone here tonight. There you go. That's funny. <laughs> Amen, let everybody kind of settle down to a quiet little crawl. Amen. Good to have everyone tonight. Good to have you folks that are joining us by Facebook, you guys that are here as well. Uh, just a quick reminder, to everyone, this weekend starts our uh, Leadership University. What <laughs> that means, for you that aren't familiar with it, this coming Friday night, all day Saturday and Sunday, uh, we're having special times and meetings right here at the training center. Friday night at 7 o'clock uh, p.m. is going to be uh, Brother David Ravenhill. Ooh, family, yeah. So yeah. 7 o'clock right here on Friday night. Then uh, Saturday morning, I believe the schedule will be posted, I believe it's 9, 9.30 a.m. Uh, Dr. Richard Talby speaking here. We'll be followed by awesome. yeah. Brother Ravenhill. 3.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, uh, we're going to have a question and answer. We're going to have both those guys up here just to be able to draw some great wisdom from these great men of God. Then Saturday night at 7 o'clock right here, David Raven will be speaking. Then uh, Sunday, it will continue on. So uh, be, a, be a part of that. But looking forward really to, to opening up uh, with the Friday night with Brother David Ravenhill, you know He'll his wife, Nancy, and Pastor Tao, and his wife, Jean will be here. So all four of those guys are going to be here uh, to spend some time with us. So I encourage you guys that are here, amen, make it a point to be a part of all those those uh, meetings and services i know it's going to be good and you guys that are watching this in your geographical area would love for you guys to come over as well so let's go to the lord in prayer tonight father we just thank you for once again the the opportunity uh lord god just to, to seek you lord god father we we love your word lord god father we thank you that you sent your word to heal us to restore us to build us up lord god and father by the precious lord god person of the holy spirit you come to lead and guide us into all truth. And so, Lord God, we thank you for once again just having this, this opportunity, Lord God, to come and to, to be a part of of, of of what you're doing and what you're trying to teach and train us in these last days. Lord God, Father, we know that part of the great commission, Lord God, that we have in the Gospel of Matthew, Lord God, 28, is to go and make disciples of all nations, Lord God, teaching them to observe all of those things that you taught them. And, Lord God, so tonight we've come, Lord God, to a place, Lord God, of of dedication and study, Lord God, so we can observe and do those things that you've instructed us in, Lord God. Father, so we just ask you, Lord God, give us your mind, give us your heart. Allow us, Lord God, to walk in the spirit of wisdom and understanding tonight. Father, anoint, Lord God, not just the teaching but the hearing as well. Let those that have ears to hear hear what you would speak, Lord God. Father, we confess that in and of ourselves, we don't have the capacity, Lord God, to either teach or receive. But Father, we thank you, Lord God, that because of Jesus, and who he has been to us, Lord God, in the finished work of the cross of Calvary, and the person of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, we can come, Lord God, and we can know you, we can know your heart, Lord God, and we can walk in obedience to you. And all the saints of God said, Amen. Amen and Amen. Okay, if you guys would, uh, we're continuing our study through the epistle of Hebrews. I believe we're on, I think, class 7. seven. I think it is class number 7. And so if you missed any of those things, you can go online to BigGrace.com, which is taking my Facebook page. And you can click on the video section under the photos and you can get a running uh, ledger of all of those classes that we've uh, taught up to this point. I want to read for you tonight, as, I, as we kind of get started in the introduction, uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And so if you're just getting in seven weeks into it, um, man, we're just getting started. Amen. <laughs> so you haven't fallen too far behind in regards to, uh, the, to the study of this incredible epistle. And here's what it says. It says, God, who at sundry times and in diver's manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets... And he has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world. And so we we spent uh, a significant uh, portion of time talking about that. Then we get to verse 3, and this is where we're going to pick up again, where we left off uh, uh, last week. But there's some some bullet points. I mean, you kind of remember these things as we're kind of going through it. You can kind of, if you wrote those things down when I mentioned them a couple weeks ago, you can kind of check them up off as we go. And uh, you know the, these fivefold, kind of the fivefold revelation or description, and what's happening just in this verse. Don't you love that about the word? I don't know about you, but man, you know what? Uh, that's kind of why I, I just read through it, and I, because it's called the Unsearchable Riches of God. I think so. So many times it's so easy just to kind of just fluff over something. You take common things and just kind of lose their value and their power just because of over-familiarity. We talked in, in length about John three sixteen and verses like that that you just miss. And this past week, he, even in books, you know, like in the Exodus, uh, shared on Sunday morning and Sunday night, just about the, the events that happened in Abraham's life. It's so easy, you, you read things, especially familiar stories, and it's so easy just to fly through them. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about uh, this past Sunday morning about, you know, it was uh, Abraham, they went into Egypt because of this great famine, and, and through that, that deception, he was given servants, and later on, in the 15th chapter, one of those servants that he was given, was being, likely being Hagar, was the one that, that, that brought some, some serious issues into that covenant. And it's so easy to miss that stuff. I mean, for me, I've, I've read that many times, but it was just there, it kind of jumped out, that specifically said the Egyptian servant. And so, when, when I get to things like this when we're doing an expository study, I like to really just kind of stop and say, God, listen, I don't want, just because I've read Hebrews numerous times, I don't want to just gloss over something. I want to see what you're saying and what you're speaking to us. And, 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 because here, here's the difference that, that we have yeah. now as, as people that have the Spirit of God. He's come and deleting, he's came and God us into all truth. And you know, we can go through these things like we did the, the Roman study a number of years back and did a couple hundred hours in that. We can start over and, 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 and never touch the same material again. And that's the, the, the good thing about the Word of God. And it's not like you've got to go and search for some hidden meaning. It's just really there if you'll just take the time and look what he's saying and allow the Word of God to come together. And one of the things that's going to help you guys, you know, we do the 90-day challenge where we read through the Scripture. Folks, the more you do that, the more you read through the Scripture, what you're going to find is you're depositing within yourself the framework and the ability to pull more out of the Scripture. And so I'll just be real frank with you. If, if you sit down with someone and, and really, if you talk Bible with them and it's all surface level, it's probably just somebody that doesn't spend a whole lot of time in the Bible. It's really frank. Because the more time you spend in it, regardless if you're just a, a, a person that just loves Jesus and worships him, or if you're a teacher of the word or a preacher, the more time you spend in the word, the more time you let the word get into you, you get into the word, the more the word will get into you. And so it's not that we... That somebody just shows up and they say, man, that person is just so profound. Well, that just a certain person just paid the price. It's really what it comes down to. And so there's no shortcut to obedience. There's no shortcut to just getting this some deep revelation. You spend time in it yourself and you're going to get it yourself. Do you hear me? That's why he said that you have no need of no one to teach you. What you have need of is to be faithful yourself. And there's nothing worse than a secondhand revelation or secondhand Jesus. And so at best, what I hope to do is to whet your appetite and show you, listen, man, there is something in there that I've just got to take the time and I've got to do it. And so I don't know how many times people have been preaching, whether it's Pastor Alex or, or Pastor Roy or somebody else, and having stated the word, they'll say something and it'll trigger something. It'll make me want to get in the word. And so just off of what they've taught or what God has showed them, it just makes me want to pull my shovel out and get to digging. You need to develop that. I heard a preacher say years ago, it's probably been, I think it was back in 1987, uh, back when I was in Bible college. He said, listen, if you just go to church and you just listen to another preacher, regardless of how, how good they are, he said, you can spend your whole life, and he said, you'll have about a fifth grade equivalency of a Bible education. That's it. Because you'll just hear it and you'll forget it. Because most people, frankly, when they hear the teaching of the word, they just sit there and they're like, oh, that's good. Hey, man, that's really great. And afterwards say, man, that's really good. Well, why was it good? Well, didn't you hear what he said? No, you tell me what he said. Well, he said a lot of good stuff. Because most people just don't really take notes. And afterwards, they'll ask me for my notes because they don't want to take their own notes. But folks, really, you've got to be that one that that you're going to be the disciple. You're going to be the one that the investments come in. I really challenge you to do that. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to be like those unprofitable servants. You're going to be those ones that that he says, what did you do with your talent, with your ability? So I, I never want to find myself in that situation, period. Because fortunately for me, I mean, I sat under some tremendous men of God. You'll get to hear, obviously, one of them again this weekend with Pastor Richard Tell. My pastor, he, he was a person who really uh, 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 pushed you into the Word and made you want to know that thing just because of what he said. I, and I hope the same thing becomes uh, a contagion in your life as well. So, fivefold revelation, these things that are unfolding just in this... This small little verse that we're about to read here in a second. If you remember, uh, one of the things he said, and just—I mean—you could just preach on these five points forever. Uh, you know, Calvin thought he had great five points, but I think—I uh, think Jesus has five better points through the Hebrew writer. It's Jesus is God. That Jesus is an exact physical representation or spiritual uh, or invisible God. That everything in the universe is literally held together by the Word of God, Jesus. That the cross of the cross alone is the sole means wherein fallen man can be redeemed. And fifthly, that the cross represents a finished work, thus it's indispensable or augmentable. In other words, you can't add to it. But you know what? There, there's the summarization of the gospel. Somebody says, what's the gospel? Well, just take up the Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. It says it's right here. This is the good news. This is what he did. And this is exactly what it should produce in your life. So now I'm going to read verse 3, those five bullet points that I've been giving you. It says, speaking of Jesus, who being rightness brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, that tonight, that's what we're going to look at, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, period. We'll stop right there. And so, folks, listen, we're going to take that statement or that declaration that he gave when he had by himself purged our sins, and we're going to look at that very thoroughly. And I hope that... I hope you get as excited after I'm talking about it as I get excited looking at it to begin with. That's really what I I hope. And so, tonight we want to get really a deeper understanding of just not what it says, but the impact and the implications that his actions made upon our lives or the lives of those who have been willing to appropriate those things into the spirit man. And that's the difference. Jesus did a whole lot of things. You know, I can look at what he said through the the, the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, and we can talk about it. He was... Wounded for our transgressions, right? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. I can see the fullness of the work of the cross of Calvary. It's prophesied that, that, that sins, that iniquities, that even the way that we think, and even our, our, our healing both physically and spiritually was done and accomplished at the cross of Calvary. But just because it was done or it was made available does not mean it's literally appropriated into our life. He gives us in Matthew chapter 3, 1 and 2, the appropriation, how that starts. He said, repent, think differently because the kingdom is at hand. In other words, all of those things related to the kingdom, which were described and, and, and made available through the cross, are accessible. They're obtainable if we'll appropriate those things by grace through faith. And so we see we're saved by grace through faith, and we know that salvation is not just some one-hit wonder. It's not just something where we we were saved, we are saved, we are being saved. And so it's something that's continuing to work. When we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and trembling, and nears our salvation we first believed. In other words, there's a growth and there's a development. It's not like I prayed a prayer at summer camp and all of a sudden I backed God into the proverbial corner and I'm okay and I got him on a technicality so I can live like hell. And I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying, Jesus did all these things, and and he made provision. But the key is, or what are we going to do through his influence in regards to appropriating all of those qualities in our life? And some of you, there there are certain qualities, and we've talked about this uh, last week, I think it was. You know, uh, most of us in this place have probably appropriated, he was wounded for our transgressions. You know, you said, Have you ever asked Jesus in your life? Yeah, I prayed that prayer. I, I believe that Jesus died. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that that, that it was uh, that it was through him, through, through, through his virgin birth, and his vicarious death upon the cross of Calvary, that I have salvation through through faith in the in the blood of Jesus. We say that. But then I could move on down the, 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 the appropriation, the appropriation of all the things that are made available to Christ. And I say, listen, what about those iniquities? Man, is there still things that you 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 suffer with or you battle with? Well. He paid for those as well. Why haven't you appropriated a victory over those areas in your life? Well, First John 5, 4, this is a victory that overcomes our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in what he did, appropriated back into my life. When I don't appropriate it, I don't experience it. And so we see all of these things unfolded, and so we, we need to allow God to bring those things to revelation because once they're, they're revealed, then we see them as attainable, right? Because unless you see those things, and you're able to lay hold of them, you never think it's something that you can grab a hold of. But once it's exposed to you, once God reveals those things through revelation, you are saying, listen, I can't do that. I mean, you, has anybody here ever been a, a period of your life where, <clears throat> were you just, man, you are just in the bully all the time. You battled depression. Yeah, exactly. But then she married Pastor Roy and she got over herself, amen. But you, you think about that, but did something happen and all of a sudden you say to yourself, man, I, I, I found out, that there was something that would appropriate the joy of the Lord, yes. something that transcends circumstances, something that that transcends what's going on in my life. Because guys, listen, there's always something going on, right? Mm-hmm. Any of you had something going on this past week? Yeah. You know, either either going on uh, in you or going on around you. Right. Because a lot of times the things that get you down are not the things that are going on with you. It's something going going on with somebody you love. Or a circumstance that you're in, or somebody that you know sick, or somebody that you know struggling, and you just you're bearing that burden upon yourself. And so every single one of us go through those things. And so the joy of the Lord is not dependent upon what you're you're going through; it's how you're going through it, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And so when we appropriate the, 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 those characteristics of Christ in our life, then it allows us to walk in the fullness of those things, to understand who He is, and really understand what it means to to to, to have and to obtain salvation. And so. We, we look at that statement, when he had by himself purged our sins. Literally, that statement, and, and if, you, if you are writing those, I, I encourage you to write this down. You, you need to hear this. Here's how that statement would literally read. And, and you're going to find out while I'm going to drive this point home, just here in a second. In our English translation, and, and I was reading from you uh, in the King James Version, when he himself had purged our sins. Literally, that statement in the Greek would say, through of himself, through of himself, the purification of sins having made. Through of himself, the purification of sins having made. And as you're writing rapidly to put these things down so you can preach this one day. Through of himself, the purification of sins having made. I, I make that because there's some points here that got to be made in, in accordance with that wording there. And I believe it's very, just like we talked about in the early part of this verse, that he upholds all things by what? The word of his power, the of his power not the power of his word. There's, there's there's a reason that the words are strung together the way that they are. It's not by accident. You hear me? And so it's not just like some random thing. It's like when it's like our sentence structure. You teach your children or your grandchildren how to say certain things, and and just you know you can you can write a sentence out and you can move around all the words, and you don't say to them, well as long as you say all those words, it really doesn't matter what order they're in, because it matters, doesn't it? It matters because we're, we, we're taught a sentence structure. Any of you guys, I don't know if they do it anymore, where you diagram sentences? You draw the line and do all these things? Well, it, it teaches you something. I used to love diagramming, and it really helped me in my writing and even my, my speaking, putting words together and understanding things of that nature. And so you, you put those things together for a purpose. And so it, literally in the Greek it says, through love himself the purification of sins have he been made. And so there's some importance here that I want to bring out because you know, in regard to what was actually accomplished and who accomplished it and what should be the expected end. And so, you want to get saved, you want to come to Christ, so that what? And I've said this for years, anybody has been around me for years, you know, I've said, okay, so to what end? And so, how many of you go to church? Obviously, I'm asking a group of people. In. And so, to what end? Now, go into any church, go visit a, a mega church, for instance, and just walk up to some random person on, on, on this walking out the door. that They say, hey, listen, if you go to church on a regular yeah. And ask them, so to what end? And so what are you hoping is going to accomplish? How long have you been going to this church? Well, I've been going to this church for five years. And so what have you accomplished for the kingdom? Well, what do you mean what have I accomplished for the kingdom? Well, you show up for work in order to do what? To get paid. Mm-hmm. You, keep, you keep showing up month after month, year after year to get what? A promotion, right? And so you don't go to work just thinking, I'm just going to go to work every week and I hope something happens. Maybe I'll get paid. Maybe the boss will uh, uh, appreciate what I've done. Maybe I'll get a promotion. Anybody anybody go to work like that? Mm-hmm. Or are you expecting some type of at least financial remuneration from it? Mm-hmm. Some recognition in the thing. Folks, listen, when we come to church, we ought to think the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm coming to church so that one day I will... Well, folks, we, we think that way and now... The the beginning of 2019 for you guys that are joining us and may join us years later if you you, this thing survives uh uh, on the internet and you may say 2019 but listen they understood it then you hear me they understood that there was something why when they read ephesians it says listen he's given some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists pastors and teachers to do what equip the saints just so they could have neat services or they could have revival and somebody could come up there and spit and holler and shout and do all those type of things. Man, it's a great revival service. I can't wait till next summer. We'll have another one. That oh, was it. No, to equip, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Not just equip the saints. Perfect. Not just so everybody will know a bunch of neat Bible verses. Everybody can exegetically describe things in the scripture, give you proper uh, hermeneutics and, and, and give you neat homiletics and preach a work. Not for that. But they're equipping you to do the work. Of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? Luke 19.10. Right? He came but for one thing. To seek and to save that which was lost. We've been given the word of reconciliation to do the what? To do the work or the ministry of reconciliation. And so I go to church to get equipped so that I can do the ministry of reconciliation. If I go to church just to clap and to worship and all these type of things, really I've missed it. Because worship and clapping and praying and and, and and reading, all of those things are simply components to enable me to actually go do the work of the ministry. Those aren't the end. Those are the means to the end, right? Those are not the end. Those are the means to the end. And so when, when we're looking at this, it's not just what was accomplished, but what was the expected end? And so he gives us all of those things, those, those clues and those directives right here in that small verse of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And look what it says, it, the first point, is, it says, it was through himself, Jesus, that this redemption process originated. That's where it originated from. It was through Jesus that the whole process of redemption, what does is, what is the word redeemed mean? Simple, simple, simple definition. To buy back. To buy back. That's a great, just simple definition. It means to buy back something. I've, I've redeemed a coupon. I've bought something back. I've, I've, I've redeemed something that came. So I, I went and something that wasn't, now is back in my possession. And so the whole process of redemption was through Jesus. That's very key. And so I, I'm not going to get a whole real deep into the subject matter that we kind of covered uh, in, in the past. But I, I do want to hit on just a few of these major points uh, not just again, but maybe just a little bit deeper. So to kind of fill in, maybe some of the blanks that maybe some of you that weren't here for that, or or, or maybe some that didn't really kind of understand the implications of this this, uh, this statement. Now think about this just for a second. When we're talking his the historical context, how it applied to them there, Doug, and how it applies to us. Because the audience that we're dealing with here were primarily what converted Jews. There were people that had came out of Judaism into Christianity. That's important then, and it's important now. It was important then. Why? Because all of the things that they had seen prior to that were just pointing them to the Messiah. But what's happening today? Here's why it's important. Why it's just it's in reverse. You've got these people that had been had the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and we see it in, in, in Roman in, in Hebrews chapter six, and we'll get into that a, a few years from now, I'm sure. And talking about uh, about trying to go back under the law and the remainder. Don't a sacrifice. There's no way. There's no way that you can return once you've. You you, you can't say I want to go back under the law. Mm-hmm. And so we got people that are now becoming Hebrew Israelites, and we got people that are now becoming Messianic Christians, going back under the law. Yeah. Well, they just flipped the script. They've done just the exact opposite of what Jesus intended to happen. Yeah. They're, they're wearing their prayer shawls. They're putting their little hats on their head. You know, I saw a picture of a friend of ours that, that many of you guys uh, met during uh, Party yeah. One. They're they're over visiting. Uh, uh, Israel, and he had a picture, and it was of a wailing wall, and he had all these folks, all these, these Jewish people, you know, they had the prayer shawls on, they had the little, uh, the, the, the little hats on top of their head, and they're all facing this stone wall, writing little prayer things and sticking them into the cracks of the wailing wall. Man, isn't that depressing? Isn't that, I mean, I, literally, when I saw that, I thought, you know, all these Christians want to go and pray at the wailing wall. I have no desire to do that. You know, they want to go pray in front of a dead stone, whereas the Scripture says that the stone that the master builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. So I'm going to stand there, and I'm going to do what? I'm going to, I'm going to impress the Jewish people that are watching a Gentile fall into the same trap they did? That's going to impress, it's not impressing God. You think that, 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 that he wants me to, to worship at some huge some, uh, some stone altar? Really? You think that that's impressing God? He said we have one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. It's not, it's not this block of rock in, in the land of Judea. Right. Come on. And so you see even the trap. I want to follow the nostalgia. I want to do these things that, that Jesus did and see these things that Jesus saw and all these type of things. Well, I want to come and do what he did. He said he came to seek and save that which was lost. And so if I'm not walking in those footsteps, it doesn't matter if I've walked the Roman road throughout the, the, the land of Mesopotamia, which I have, but that didn't do anything spiritually for me. That wasn't some great epiphany. Yeah, it was kind of neat seeing those things and preaching at the, at the seven churches of, of, of Asia Minor and standing there. I've, I've done those type of things, but folks, that didn't bring me any closer to Jesus. You hear me what brought me closer to jesus is getting a revelation and an understanding of what he did through his word and by the person of the holy spirit it wasn't traveling by uh 12 or 13 hours by an airplane and landing in what is now modern turkey you hear me that wasn't some great experience so i'm not chopping at my bed saying i'm going to walk in the holy land and get rebaptized in the muddy waters of river jordan that, that's not going to do anything spiritually for me Folks, I am saved, and I'm sanctified, and I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You seem to hear me? I'll cast out a devil, and I'll speak with new tongues, amen? I'll shout, and I'll dance, and I'll proclaim the goodness of God, amen? And it's not a geographical experience, amen? It's a relational experience that I got through a revelation of Jesus, uh, pressing in and seeking after him. That's what he's saying. All of those things are done through him. And so because of the need to see the work of the cross as a better way, in comparison, that's why he said these type of things. And because of the previous covenant made with Abraham was simply a type of what now is. And so the emphasis has always got to come back and be brought back to Jesus the Christ as that sole source of anything, of any truly redemptive work in a person's life. And so, for example, <coughs> we kind of touched on, on, on Abraham this past weekend. We have talked about uh, just uh, preaching about that whole, uh, the, 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 the Ishmael effect and what it, how it has on people's lives. But I want you to think about something just for a second. You know, we look at Genesis 15, 6, that, that Abraham, what? Abraham believed God. He had faith, right? And what happened, Pastor? He was a counted righteous. for, for righteousness. was declared to be made righteous because of faith. Notice he wasn't declared to be made, made righteous because of circumcision. Mm-hmm. He would be circumcised. It's an outward sign of an inward transformation. We're not, we're not made righteous because we take communion the first Sunday of the month or second Sunday, or whatever we want to do. We're not made righteous by that. We're not We're not made righteous because we get baptized in the right amount of water with the, with the right phrase spoken of, over us. Amen? Whether it's baptizing somebody. Somebody may say, well, you're made righteous because you got baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. This person might say you're, you're, you're made righteous because you got baptized in the name of Jesus. We're not made righteous by those things. Those are just an outward declaration of something that had to happen in a heart that changed and transformed me. You hear me? That's what you... That's the evidence. The evidence... Is it, is it the, the, the the routine, amen? The evidence is made in the redemption that happens in our life. Amen. And so we see those things happen. So Abraham believed God, and it was through that that he was declared righteous, once again, Genesis 15, 6. And then later on, Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, I'm just going to read some of this, and it says, sometime later, somebody say sometime later. Sometime later. Not particularly spiritual about that, that's going to get you involved in what I'm doing tonight, amen? <laughs> sometime later, it says, God tested Abraham's faith, Okay? Faith got put to the test, folks. Has that changed? What's the apostle say? Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Okay, put yourself to the test. Put yourself, put your faith to the test. How do you put your faith to the test? Okay. How does how does praying put your faith to the test? Reading the word. Okay? In what? Trust the Lord for what? So you can pray and fast more? Sure. Huh? Hell, sure, if that works, that's a good answer. <laughs> I mean, you put your faith to the test, right? Really? So then what? I, I pray and... No, that's... Praying and fasting is how I build up faith. Mm-hmm. Praying the Holy Ghost is how I, I build up faith. Okay. How I, I, I deposit faith in my life, right? Yeah. So that I can put my faith in the test, see if it's really there. Folks, listen, your, your faith is never really tested until you're put in the trial. And so I put my, my faith to the test by putting myself in a circumstance that demands faith, right? And so we, we can preach that the wicked flee, Proverbs 28, 1, when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And so you know what? For years, obviously we preach and, and we developed that and disciples you in those places to preach on a burden street. And so for you, you're, you're like the Christian unicorn. <laughs> You're the rare breed. You really are. <laughs> Why? Because I can take any, any of y'all out there. And you know what? Here we go. And you guys that are watching this, obviously, people know our kind of our flagship ministry. The people, the things they know about us are Raven Street Church, you know. And so some of you guys, that's the first time I met Pastor Roy was on the cross at, at, at Raven Street Church. And some of you other people, that's the first place I saw you was at that cross. And so what's interesting, we go out there and we bring you that have been discipled in that environment. And so we go to our place at 815 Toulouse, the Raven's Nest. And you come in there, and you know what? Seldom do I ever see anybody cowering in the corner thinking, "Oh, I can't believe I've got to go out on Bourbon Street and preach. Uh, do I really have to go out there? Are they going to kill me? Am I going to fall apart? Is the crowd of 50,000 people going to swarm me? You don't think that way. You know what I say all the You walk out there just like you're talking to people. Why? Because your faith has been put to the test over and over and over again. And, so I, and I say that because I know people, you know, we had a guy a few years back that had, had overseen a, a humongous ministry. And, and you know, he's supposed to be evangelistic, and he used to have these, the, the, the ministries now defunct after 25 or 30 years but he would have these big youth things and they could fill up the Pontiac Silverdome where the, where the lines played and all these things and he'd get up there and they had the lights and the mirrors and all this stuff, flashing the lasers. And Man, he'd preach these things and they'd have uh, they'd have DC talk and all these people. He was a dynamic speaker and all this stuff. Well, a few years ago, he showed up here and went to the streets with us and, man, he was scared to death. <laughs> I'm like, you're, you're scared of this? And you weren't scared of all those Angry teenagers waiting to eat the pizza afterwards? That's who I'm afraid of. Well, his faith had never been put to the test. Why? Because he had the routine down. He understood the laser light shows. He understood the band and the ambiance. But your faith has been put to the test. Why? Because you've been put in an environment that you see that God can be found faithful. That you're not the intimidated you're the intimidator. Yep. When you stand upon the 18 inches off the ground on, the, on that rudimentary box that we built underneath that, that, that cross made out of gutter pipe, you become the sudden, intimidated person. <laughs> Isn't that kind of crazy when you think about that? Because at any time, those people could overrun us, and there's nothing anybody could do about it except Jesus. But we're the ones that whip them into a frenzy just by preaching the gospel. See, see that's the difference. Your faith has been put to the test. Examine yourself to be, see whether or not you're in the faith. So his faith was tested, and he said, yes, here I am. Genesis 22, 1, here I am. And remember, here's what he said. You know the story. He said, take your son, speaking to Abraham, speaking of Isaac, yes, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go into the land of Moriah, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with him. Along with his son, Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering. He set out for the place. Man, I, this is shouting stuff for me right here. And you'll know it in a minute. <laughs> then on the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. So the boy I will travel with a little further. He said, we'll worship here then we'll be, we'll be right back. What he say? We'll worship, then we will be right back. back. Notice what he said? We'll be right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried the fire in the night. And as the two of them walked together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and we have the wood, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? Mm. Mind you, this letter, Hebrews, was written to? Hebrews. Hebrews. It was written to Jews. Who right. understood this? He said, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, and they both walked together. And when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and he arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And that moment, so he said, that moment. That moment. The angel of the Lord called on him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. He said, don't lay a hand on that boy. The angel said, do not hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God. Why? Because your faith was put to the test. You've not withheld anything from me, even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horn in the thicket. So he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place, of, uh, place of the son. Abraham named that place uh, Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Folks, here's why I said that shout stuff. I mean, you just look at these things. We'll kind of get into it. It says that he went and he took who? He took how many servants? Two. Two. This is all a a picture of what happened in the cross. How many thieves is it mentioned? I'm sure that day, that that day undoubtedly, because of the nature of the the crucifixions and everything that went into it, there were typically, look at your history, hundreds, sometimes thousands of people that were crucified. But isn't it interesting, they pointed out Jesus, and he was crucified between two thieves. So we're getting that picture, two servants went with them. And so they went, and, and you remember how Jesus entered in that last time into Jerusalem? Well, he entered in on a, a, donkey. a, donkey. a donkey. Well, he got this too. He, was, he had saddled the donkey on, The same situation. Then he said, take your only son. In that case, it was Isaac. Jesus, according to John 3.16, is what? God's only begotten son. Go and sacrifice him on the mountain. Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary, otherwise known as Golgotha, the place or the hill of the skull, Mark 15.22. And it says that the wood was laid upon the shoulders of Isaac. Mm-hmm. Jesus carried his own cross. John 19, chapter 17. Abraham picked up the knife to sacrifice his son. It says in Psalm 22 and 16 that they pierced Jesus' hands and his feet. Abraham was the one offering his son. Isaiah 53, 10 prophesied that it pleased God to bruise Jesus. He said uh, The sacrifice was stopped because of the ram. Jesus, John one twenty nine was the lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. But here's where it gets interesting to me. It, it says that that ram that was seen was... Was was caught in a tree or a, or a bush, and it says that Jesus bore our sins in His body on the tree. First Peter two twenty four. It was caught by the horns. Throughout the Old Testament, I can give you innumerable passages. Horns are always used to denote or talk about authority. Mm-hmm. So Jesus didn't. They didn't take His life by His own authority. He gave His wife. He was caught in the tree by His own authority, not someone else's. Mm-hmm. Abraham named the place Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide. Or it was through Himself. Jesus. That the redemption process originated just like we get back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. Mm-hmm. So you see how all that stuff starts seamlessly tying itself together, which was so important. It's important to me, even though I'm not a Hebrew. Mm-hmm. But it's important to them because they understood the problem. They understood covenant relationship. They understood exactly what he was coming to bring correction. Why? Because they wanted to vacate the experience and the reality and the transformational experience to something that had long been fulfilled through Christ Jesus. All of these types and shadows that they knew all too well. They they knew about Abraham. They knew about Isaac. They they knew about all of these things that I just shared with you. They had that stuff at their disposal to look at those prophetic words, and they experienced it firsthand. Now he's bringing all of those things back to remembrance. He said, listen, it originated in him. It didn't originate in the covenant that you had with Abraham. Abraham was, was, was the one that put his faith in what would be. And so if Abraham had faith in his account of righteousness, he had faith not in what was, he had faith in what was going to be. Amen. Why? Because Jesus is called the lamb slain even before the foundations of the world. He didn't, Abraham didn't have to wait around another 15, 16, 1700 years in order for Jesus to die. He could look forward into that promise and those things could be appropriated to into his life in the now. Well, it's the same thing with us. Listen, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not looking forward, so to speak, and waiting for a, a, something to happen in the great by and by. Why? Because Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. He said, your will be done right now on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, I don't want to live a life like I'm waiting for something to happen in the great by and by. Hopefully, all of that junk and all of my compromises, all of a sudden, a moment of twinkling of eye, uh, who I am is going to be changed. And all of a sudden, I'm going to turn into this this spiritual robot. And, and all of my backsliding and, and all of my compromised life suddenly it's going to be done away with. Folks, listen you're 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 doing away of of, of, of those those things that keep you from God aren't going to happen at the rapture. They happened at the cross. Yeah. And so you put more stock or you put more faith in what's going to happen or what's already happened. Are, are you living and thinking with great anticipation, man, I'm just going to hold out and, and maybe scrape through some relationship with God. And hopefully when I get to heaven and I'm sitting on a cloud and a diaper playing a harp, then, I'm, then God's going to be pleased with me. Folks, listen, where he wants to be pleased with you is in the now. This is the now. If, if you don't have any joy now, you think you're going to have joy then? If, you, if, if you're not excited about Jesus now, why are you going to be excited about him then? Do you hear me? So there ought to be something. He's, he's telling the people, listen if you're just waiting around and now you're going to go back to what was or you're, you're hopeful of what is. Listen, folks, Jesus said behold now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Come on. This is the day that the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice now and I'm going to be glad in it. So as, as Pastor Roy often preaches on the cross, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And so if you say to yourself, you know what, I don't have any joy. Man, I'm Mr. Moley Grub. You know what, I'm all so negative all the time. Man, I don't really have any faith. Well, you know what you need to do? You probably just need to get born again. Period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? Folks, this is what happened to me when I got saved, I got wrecked. You know what I'm saying? And I, when I'm talking about wrecked, I'm not talking about I'm flailing myself on the ground and, and, and running through fire tunnels and hoping for, for feathers to fall out of the sky on top of my head. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying there's a reality that came into my life through faith that says that there's a greater reality than what I see, what I experience is what God has said in his word. That's what I believe. Oh, yeah, I get to test that stuff periodically when I go through the fiery trial, but I don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. And that's my inheritance. Mm-hmm. All that's going to do is pur- uh, purge and burn away all of that stuff that one day would desire to testify against me on the day of judgment. That's what he's declaring under these things. So it says, then the Hebrew readers knew the implications of Scripture. It says, when he had by himself or it was just simply through himself that he did that. How am I redeemed? Through Jesus. How do I withstand it? Through Jesus. Something memorizing enough passages, or preaching under the cross enough times, or, or, or shouting and dancing, or, or having enough uh, Bethel music pumped into my ears, or, or being able to sing all the words to heal That's not how I'm redeemed. Amen? Sometimes that stuff's good. Amen? I kind of enjoy some of that stuff, with the exception of maybe... Uh, uh, yeah? Yeah? <laughs> I'll just push pause right there. But listen, my faith, my hope, my redemption is because of what Jesus did. Not what Jesus did plus what Troy Bond does. Troy Bond does something because of what Jesus did. I am created under good works. Why? Because I am a new creation in Christ Jesus because of what he did. And so it was through himself. Acts 4.12 says it this way. It says, there is salvation and no one, no one else. There is salvation in no one else. It says, God has given no other name under heaven by which a man can be saved. And remember, this is mm-hmm. this is uh, 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 Peter and John speaking before whom? A Jewish council. Mm-hmm. Standing up in front of the Jewish council uh, two chapters after the day of Pentecost is revealed, mm-hmm. preaching to those folks and listen, i got some news for you folks. Mm-hmm. After really he blew them up on the day of Pentecost, don't <laughs> you just love that message he gave? You've here. I mean, he's just like, Wrecked them. this Christ that you have crucified and brought out all the scriptures and you know, quoting from David and quoting from the, the prophet Joel, blew them up, and now here he is before the council again. They're like, Man, don't this guy ever take a rest? Shut up! We hear that all the time. Give him a rest, take a breath, David Davidson. You know your faces ready. Peter was Peter and, 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 and was doing the exact same thing here in John preaching before the Jewish council. These men that have turned the world upside down have come here too. Just stop it. He says, listen, i got news for you. Salvation doesn't come through no one else. It doesn't come from your church attendance. It didn't come from you, know, you joining the, 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 the right organization or following the right minister. It comes through Jesus the Messiah, period. He's been given a name. Oh, you don't want to hear that name. You don't mind the, 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 the ambiguous God name. You just don't want to hear that name of Jesus. Hmm, Jesus. Well, isn't it interesting in this day and age, People even want to get into something else? Don't use the name of Jesus. you got to use the sacred name. Oh. You know, his name is really such a good, uh, Mashiach, ah, Mashiach. That's you know, <laughs> all these people do. I don't use the Hebrew. I, don't know. I speak English. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I gave a testimony a few years ago when I was a kid that those Doberman pitchers were running after me, and my brother jumped into a trash can and closed the lid and let me out there. Mm-hmm. And I yelled, Jesus. And literally, two Doberman pitchers that were bearing down on me to attack me stopped in their tracks and ran the other way. And I told a guy one time when he says, you know, Jesus, that's thats actually just a derivative of Zeus. And I told him that story. I said, man, it's interesting that those two dobermans were afraid of Zeus, who's just a mythological character. Isn't it? <laughs> no, it's the name of, there's power in the name of Jesus. Why? Because he's been given the name. First John 1 and 5, it says, whoever has the son has life, but whoever does not have the son does not have life. The son is Jesus. And, and you remember Hebrews 1, 2, like long ago, God spoke many times in many ways through our ancestors or through the, 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 the prophets to the fathers. But in these final days, he's spoken to us through, Jesus. through his son, through Jesus. So Hebrews 3 continues. It says, when he had by himself purged our sins. Purged our sins. Again, literally in the Greek, through up himself the purifications of sins, having made Here's why I'm telling you this is is so significant. It may may seem simple when I say that, but it'll seem significant here in a second. You're going to find this important. Why? Because of what we see really in this day and age. Think about this. The statement says, he, Jesus, purged our sins, okay, in English, but in the Greek it says purification of sins and not purification from sins. It says there's a purification of sin, not purification from sin. Is that good? Why is that good? You're not yes, but you have no idea, right? is then, it interesting we'll agree with something because the preacher wants us to agree with it? I mean, yeah, is it? I don't know. Well, if you don't know, I just don't know. No, Because if you know already, I'll move on. But if you don't know, I'll tell you exactly why that's important. Huh? She's, she's getting there. I'll give you an example. We've been to the French Quarter, right? Have you ever had somebody walk up to you, especially if you have a new pair of shoes on, and what will they say to you? I bet I can tell you where you got those shoes. And so at first glance, especially if you've never been here, nobody's ever done that to you, you're thinking, there's no way that person, that person don't know me. They don't know where I got my shoes. There's no way. And you know what? It, 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 that seems really impossible for those little, you know, if not impossible, probably at least highly improbable. Then they say to you, What? You got your shoes on your feet. I tell you, you got your shoes. You're thinking, oh, was that guy with me when I went to academy? And he's my gift card I got for Christmas and bought these Adidas I'm wearing tonight. How does he know where I got my? Well, the problem is, and I've had them ask me that, and I usually make them mad. I say, No, I have my shoes on my feet, which is a term indicating possession. I got my shoes through Zappos, indicating acquisition you are looking at me like, what did you just say to me? (laughs) And I say, well, no, I don't got my feet, shoes on my feet. I have my shoes on my feet. And I'll say to you, I bet you I can tell you where you got your education. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? There's a big difference. They can't tell me where I got my shoes. They can tell me where I have my shoes, but it's obvious. Because that's possession is to have. God is acquisition. That's why it's so important we talk about the the of the versus the from, it changes everything. Yeah. Folks, don't get caught in your relationship with God and miss Jesus on the technicality because you don't even understand what He's trying to say to you. That's why it's important to rightly divide the word of God so you don't need to what? Be ashamed. Be ashamed. Mm-hmm. Because I see people out there, tourists, all the time, and, and some guy come there and clown them and they'll say, Listen, I bet you five bucks I can tell you where you got your shoes. He says, You got them on your feet. He's holding his hand out. They're like, oh, man, you got me on that one. Well, he actually didn't if he just stopped and understand the language. So he's what? He's ashamed. And because he's ashamed, he pays the $5 and he skirts off real quick and says, man, I was really dumb in that. Uh, yeah, you're dumb because you don't understand the English language. Don't be dumb because you don't rightly divide the word of truth and rightly appropriate the things that God has called you to do. Amen. You hear me? Yes. That's why you got to just not know about the words. You need to know the word. And so that's what Jesus didn't come to purchase from. He came to purchase of sin, not just from the acquisition of sins committed, but from the very possession of the sin nature that made sin a standard part of your makeup or composition. And so he didn't just come to do away with the penalty of sin. He came to eliminate the problem of sin, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so when people tell you all the time, well, I ask God for forgiveness all the time. Well, no, what you're doing is you're wanting to rid yourself of the penalty and so you ask for forgiveness because you want to get rid of the penalty. You want to get rid of the guilt. You want to get rid of the shame. But you don't want to rid yourself of the problem of sin. Mm-hmm. Because you want to always go back to that, 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 that well anytime you need to draw from it. Mm-hmm. But Jesus came to purge us. Hallelujah. Purge us from the very issue of sin itself. Mm-hmm. He wanted to take away that sin nature. Second Corinthians 5.17. We know what it is, right? Mm-hmm. If any man is in Christ. If any man realizing that the origination of our redemption is in Christ, what happens? He's a brand new person. All of the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. We know when we we genuinely repent. And so there's the difference between asking for forgiveness, then I don't want the penalty, versus repentance, which says I don't want to have the problem. Right? Because a lot of people feel guilty about the penalty. But they don't, they don't feel guilty enough to rid themselves of the problem, so they don't just keep doing it. I had a guy the other day come up to me. He said, I repent every day. I said, what do you repent every day of? He said, well, I drink too much. And so you repent every day of drinking? Well, yeah, yeah, most days I do. Well, So you just want to feel better about your problem. You don't want to eliminate the problem. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to take away our sins, and there's no sin in him. And if I'm in him, I'm a brand-new person, and I have been crucified with Christ. That's the message that he was giving in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6. I'm not going to get into that. just by, by way of time. Paul the Apostle made it so clear. I say I'm not. Let's put Romans chapter 6. Right? And we, can't, we, can't, we can't teach on Hebrews without talking about Romans. That's true. We can't talk about Romans without talking about the other 65 books in the Bible. Wait a well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. God forbid. You've got to be kidding me. Since we have died to sin, right? Since we've been purged of of the very problem of sin, how can we continue to live in it? Well, you're either purged of it or you're not, okay? It's, It's an issue of from or of. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ, Jesus, and baptized, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ in baptism, just as Christ was raised from dead by the glorious power of the Lord. Now we also have brand new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power on our lives. And so we are no longer slaves to sin. We are set free from the power of sin. Not just the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin. Yeah, so that's what he's telling them. Don't you folks remember that that was the reason that Jesus came? He didn't come just to rid you of the penalty. He wants to strip the power that sin had over your life that kept pulling you back into that same abyss. So maybe you, maybe you find yourself just diving headlong back into those same things over and over again. Well, what is it? Well, you don't realize that he's giving you power over sin. Now, I'm not just talking about all the biggies that we see in the First Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, the biggies that, that people fall into. I'm talking about those little leaven that start right up here. Here, I'm talking about that, 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 that second and third aspect of the cross, that, 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 that iniquities and the chastisement for your peace. I'm talking about those things that provide an inroad for sin as well. He wants to break their power over your life. Folks, listen, you really can have victory. Yes, yes. Amen. You really can. It's not some spiritual shell game where he's mixing those things up and, and just when you think you picked up the, the half of the walnut shell with the pizza, where did that go? And he's got a hit under his... That's not how he is. Come on. He legitimately came to purge you. Of the, 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 of the very power that sin has over your life. That way you don't have to go looking for some, some other lesser sacrifice in the hopes of doing enough things. If I, if, if I can just do a, a, enough spiritual things, if I could just starve myself enough days, if I could just read enough passages. Folks, I, do, I believe in all of that stuff, period. It's not to become more spiritual. It's to understand him more. Period. So if you're using the stuff that you do as a means to somehow attain something, folks, you've already blown it. Do mm-hmm. you hear me? Yeah. That's resting in him, and you do those stuff not so that he'll love you more, but because you love him. Yes. If at any time anything stands in the way of that relationship, you just don't have to purge that stuff out of you. You're like, ah, you know what? That stuff's distracting me from what I already know and what I possess through faith and the finished work of the cross of Calvary. And I want to come back to that place. We see the same thing we preach in, in 1 John chapter 3, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, and there's no sin in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get can destroy those things out of your life. Mm-hmm. And folks, that's exactly what he came to do and to deliver us as he's talking to, the, to, to, to these, these Christians, these people who have come out from under the law into a relationship with Christ Jesus. Romans puts it so aptly in Romans chapter 8. It says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. I don't have to. If, if I'm in that bondage, it's because I've walked back in the prison cell. It's like Joshua preaches so many times. It's a package deal. He didn't just come to forgive you of for your sins. He's come to set you free from those sins as well. It's a package deal. Get the whole package rather than saying, listen, I just want somehow for him to pass those things over everyone. So I just want him to uh, occasionally, maybe that one day, he put some blood up on the, on the doorpost. But you know what? I never really feel like I have a victory in Christ Jesus. There is victory in him. When we understand it's in and through him that the power and not just the penalty is broken off of our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that that you did it. That I don't have to jump through the right hoops, Lord God. Father, I just got to believe that you did it. It's accounted unto me for righteousness, Lord God. That you have given me the power through the person of the Holy Spirit and through the redemptive work of, of faith in the cross, Lord God, to actually walk those things out, Lord God. Lord God, I don't, I don't have a free passage to do whatever I want to now, Lord God. But Lord God, I've obligated myself, Lord God, because you obligated yourself. You gave me a, you, 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 you sent your son Jesus, Lord God, I called upon his name, Lord God. I've surrendered title deed and ownership of my life to him, Lord God. And now he gives me the power to overcome. He's purged me of those things, Lord God, that would control my heart and life and you brought a freedom to me, Lord God. So I thank you for these things. Let that word just resonate inside of us, Lord God. Let us continue, Lord God, even as we press deeper into this new year, Lord God, to walk in that type of victory. And Father, we ask you to bless our offering tonight as we give. Thank you that we can participate, Lord God, in all the many things that you have enabled us to do, Lord God, to the end of seeking and saving that which was lost. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Bless the Lord. you dismissed tonight.